Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Bible Prophecy for today. My name is Heather, and we are going to talk about Bible prophecy today. So, why is it important? Why are we seeing the apostasy in the churches? What is going on in the world today? What happens when Satan's um, servants enter the church of God? What happens? Well, let's talk about that today. And it's in an article written by Vanessa. And I think you're going to really like it. Vanessa White. So let's check out this article, shall we? So grab you a cup of coffee, cup of tea, cup of water, eh, soda pop, whatever you drink. Coca-Cola, if you're here in Texas. And that always means Dr. Pepper. So anyway, <laughs> let's jump into this article, shall we? I've got my one cup of coffee per day and that's what i will be drinking during this episode so watered down and distorted when satan's servants are found in the church this is by vanessa white and you can find it at harbingersdaily.com so she goes i love the canon of scripture it is the living word of god the canon of scripture today is exactly what god wanted it to be and it will stay that way until christ returns god's word is authoritative it tells us what to do and how to live our lives sadly too many people reject it and call it irrelevant for today's culture in the times in which we live people choose to pick what they want from the scriptures and throw out what they do not want to believe or what doesn't fit with their lifestyle i love paul's courageous faith and boldness and his love for the lord is compelling he is a hero of the faith and i can learn from him in his ministry because paul followed the lord wholeheartedly his zeal for the lord was astounding he prayed fervently and passionately paul preached the pure gospel he honored god's message in ministry and in his ministry was of purity in god's power Paul answered the call. He knew what it meant when Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Every ministry should abide in Christ and in the doctrine of Christ, sharing the gospel and making disciples by sharing the word of truth, the word of God, the scriptures, and testifying who Jesus is, God in the flesh, his death, burial, and resurrection, fully God and fully human the christian life is truly suffering for christ's sake remember second timothy three twelve tells us indeed all who desire to live godly in christ jesus will be persecuted she says i love how paul always calls out false teachers and those with faulty doctrine paul addressed some leaders who were peddling and occupying themselves with erroneous lies and it was a message of pain avoidance and glorification of human prosperity there is no other way to follow Christ than to bear up with faith under the difficulties God brings into believers' lives. This epistle strongly affirms it is often in situations of human inadequacy that divine favor is most powerful. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. In such times, believers experience the mystery and beauty of God's promise. My grace is sufficient for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Another theme is the sanctity of the apostolic ministry. Watered down in distorted versions of the Christian message circulated at Corinth as Paul speaks of, quote, false apostles, unquote, in their midst, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. Satan's servants can sometimes be found in the church. And they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. That is Second Corinthians chapter eleven, verse fifteen. Word, God's word is a treasure chest of truth. May we align our lives to every word that God speaks 
through the scriptures. Folks, may that be your starting point today. I hope that you will dig into the word of God and let the word of God get into you. May I say dig in to you. So let's check this out. So we're going to read a little bit more here. So I'm going to pull up 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. And it says in the King, King James Version, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 tells us, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Folks, pay very close attention to that when the apostle Paul told us that course inspired by the holy spirit we see these things happening in a whole lot of churches i know you know churches that i'm talking about hill song you got bethel which is hell song you got hell song hethel is what i like to call it these places are ripe with satanism and uh, i'm going to tell you one thing if it's not of god it is of satan they can use all the christianese that they want to they can make it all about love and all about good and all about all of this well the bible's not all about good and love there's justice there's all kinds of other things in the bible but you can tell you'll know them by their fruits and you start looking at all these pastors from these so-called i call them so-called churches because they're not they're like playgrounds for satan and uh, if you look at all these places, what's happening is they fall and it's all from sexual immorality. It's all from, and if you look at these things, this is what happens. So folks, you don't need a church that's going to have the elaborate stage with a big rock concert and all this stuff. And they focus on that and they focus on one little thing. Like there's, you know, churches out there that focus on the health, wealth, and prosperity. Now, am I saying that God doesn't heal today? Absolutely not. God heals. By his stripes, we are healed. He gives us his peace. He bore all that for us on the cross. And so I absolutely believe that jesus christ still heals today do i believe in tongues i absolutely do i do believe in that the apostle paul preached on that he spoke in tongues but now there's a lot of a uh, lot of talk about that now do i believe it should be done in a church setting and like all of this stuff and glorify absolutely not the apostle paul says that it is edifying for you for you so it's between yourself and god not, you know, everybody else around you, and it's not something that you're supposed to, you know, whatever. No, there's a big difference. And a lot of people say that those gifts died when the apostles died. I don't really believe that. I don't believe that because Jesus said greater works than these will you do when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Well, the Holy Spirit is still here, is still living inside of us. You soon get a fresh refilling of the Holy Spirit, you know, ask for it. And so, am I of the health, wealth, problem? No, absolutely not. I do not believe in the health. That's a false gospel. But do I believe that God still heals today? Absolutely. Do I believe that all the apostolic gifts died when the apostles died? No, I do not. I do not believe that. Mm. So, a lot, of the, a lot of the pastors and teachers that I follow, they believe that, you know, John MacArthur, um, Pastor Billy Crone, a lot of them think all that. I don't believe that. But, take that with a grain of salt. 
you know, you get into the word of God and you dig out for yourself uh, what the Holy Spirit may bring to you, what you need to do. So let's just jump into that, shall we? So um, I'm going to go ahead and use the Bible by Olive Tree. I have that software on my computer. And so let's jump into it. Let's just see exactly what the Bible says about tongues. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses starting in chapter. Well, let's just start in chapter 1. Now nah, let's skip down. Let's skip down. Let's do chapter 1 verse 6. Tongues must be interpreted. So, uh, Okay, so, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Notice that my spirit prays. So uh, verse 15 goes on to say, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the informed say amen at your giving of thanks? Since he does not understand what you say for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Notice that for you indeed give thanks well. But the other is not edified. I'll continue. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so he goes on to say that it was a sign to unbelievers. But I'm going to skip down here. And this is where um, I get my understanding from. So order in church meetings. So how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. So this is where I get the understanding. And there's more um, that talks about that as well. That if you do speak in tongues and there's, you know, not in church, I, I believe it should be done privately in your home, just between you and the Lord as an interceding prayer uh, is what I believe. Now, if there is an interpreter, then absolutely you know, do that. But if there's no interpreter for me, it's like a private language. You know, the way I look at that is to edify and glorify God. And so I look at it as, you know, you're interceding for somebody. And so anyway, that's just my thoughts on that. I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, there's a whole lot 
Uh, a lot of people disagree with that. But, you know, it's not a salvation uh, doctrinal issue. And so I don't think the Apostle Paul uh, would have talked about it if it, you know, would have, in that context. Um, I think he would have said, um, you know, like here in verse 39, it says, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophecy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. And so you really need to dig in and into the word of God and pray about it, you know, pray about it, ask the Holy Spirit to help, you know, help you understand, give you what you need to understand. He will, he will speak to you. God will speak to you through his word. That's why it's called the living and active word of God. And so it's beautiful. I absolutely love it. But anyway, I thought I'd throw a little bit of that in there today. Um, so what else? There was one other thing um, that I did want to talk to you guys about, if I can find it. <laughs> so here it is. So it's talking about like, you know, going along with the apostasy in the church, the fake pastors, you know, I mean, it's crazy. I've never seen churches fall like I have. They don't stand for the word of God. They don't stand for doctrine. They don't stand for anything. They're just relevant to the culture. That's what they want to be relevant. Let's come on in, grab your latte. Everybody just have a seat on the comfy couch, you know, rock out to this concert. You know, they have taken worship and they have put it on themselves on, you know what I mean? They're not worshiping God Almighty. They're worshiping themselves. And so they've changed the focus and they put it all on these things. I think it all started with Rick Warren. And I'm telling you, I don't, I, he is, he is not, uh, I, I, I mean, I hate to say he's not a Christian, but I can tell you one thing. I would not listen to anything he has to say. Very bad, very bad stuff. And it's not about church planting and all of this other stuff. Um, we need to focus on what's more important. What is more, worshiping and glorifying God? That's what it should be about. Not about the building. It's not about everything. You know, look at the look at the first century Christians. Think about it. You know, just put just put everything into context, right? But you can see how that crept in. It really started creeping in when Rick Warren wrote that book. You know, so think about how it's all crept into all the churches now, and it's all about that. It's all about the health, the wealth, the prosperity. It's all about God wants you to be happy. And God, no, God does not want you to be happy. God does not want all. God wants you to be more like Jesus. And he will bring trials. He will bring all kinds of stuff to mold you into that image. Mold you into what Christ is. That's what he wants. And so we are being prepared for future things. So if you think about it, in the thousand year millennium, we will be rulers with Christ, you know, Christ can rule, of course, but, you know, we're going to be working in the millennial kingdom, you know, we're going to be doing things, and so, um, I think this is all part of that, but, you know, anyway, that's just what I think, but, <laughs> doesn't matter what I think, what does the Bible say? So, the Bible prophecy is the only reliable information about tomorrow, so this is under the Berean Review, under, um, Harbinger's Daily, this is posted by David Jeremiah, and, uh, written by David Jeremiah, and it was uh, posted on November the 4th, 2022. And so it says, someone once said that the Christian, that 
Christians treat the book of Revelation like the priest and the Levite treated the wounded man in the parable of the Good Samaritan. They pass by it on the other side. Some avoid prophecy because it seems difficult to understand. Others feel too overwhelmed by the present to think about the future. Some pastors have never even preached from the book of Revelation because they don't see its relevance to everyday life. While many Christians are content to leave prophecies pages shrouded in mystery and misunderstanding, it is the only reliable information about our tomorrows. God knows the end from the beginning and foretells the future with absolute accuracy. The book of Revelation, along with other end-time prophecies, gives us a snapshot of the events that will precede the end of the world as we know it. The very word revelation means the unfolding of that which was previously hidden or unknown. There are six benefits to studying Bible prophecy. Number one, Prophecy plays a leading role in the New Testament. Number two, prophecy proves the integrity of Scripture. And number three, prophecy protects us from false teaching. And prophecy prepares us for the last days. Prophecy provides practical guidance for everyday living. And prophecy promises spiritual blessing. So number one, prophecy plays a leading role in the New Testament. Out of the 216 chapters in the New Testament, there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ. If we were to omit all the prophetic passages, we would have to remove one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament. We would also have to skip 23 of the 27 New Testament books that mention prophecy. For every prediction about the birth of Christ, there are eight about his second coming. Given prophecy's promise or given promise prophecy's prominence in scripture, there can be little doubt about its significance in our lives. Jesus often spoke about the future and rebuked people who didn't recognize the significance of the events around them. In Luke chapter twelve, verse fifty six, he said, Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? The people of Jesus' day had become experts at reading meteorological indicators to predict the weather, yet they ignored the prophetic signs of the Messiah's coming. These, this warning applies to us as well. Jesus expects us to investigate what the Bible says about the future and seek his guidance as we attempt to understand the day and hour in which we live. Number two, prophecy proves the integrity of scripture. In the days of the Old Testament, the prophets, seers, and people of Israel kept waiting for the Messiah's arrival. Peter said, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances regarding the first coming of Christ. That's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. Come he did in the fullness of time. Jesus satisfies every detail of the prophet's predictions. He was a descendant of Abraham and the tribe of Judah. He came from David's family line, which is Isaiah 9 and 7. He was born in Bethlehem, Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. His name was Emmanuel. He was born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14. He based his ministry in Galilee, spoke in parables, and did wonders among the people. Isaiah 9, 1 to 2, chapters uh, six, nine, uh, verses 9 and 10, and chapter 61, verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah. He was betrayed, pierced for our sins, and crucified with criminals. Zechariah, chapter 11, verse 12 and 13. Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 5 and 12. After his burial in a wealthy man's tomb, he rose again. In Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 9 and 11. Of course, the descendants of Abraham in the tribe of Judah was Genesis, chapter 12, verse 3, and Genesis, chapter 49, verse 10. So then he goes, 
All these predictions and many more came true exactly as stated hundreds of years in advance. The study of messianic prophecy is a remarkable journey into ironclad evidence for the integrity of scripture. But it's not just messianic prophecy. Many other events have occurred just as the Bible predicted. The city of Tyre fell according to Ezekiel's prophecy in Ezekiel 26 chapters 1 verses 22. After Alexander the Great's death, his generals divided the kingdom into four parts, as Daniel prophesied in chapter 11, verses 1-4. through four. And according to Daniel's prophecy, the Roman Empire became a world power known for its iron legions. Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. Although God's people didn't have an exact calendar for these events, every one of Scripture's predictions about events to date has come to pass in God's perfect timing. So prophecy protects us from false teaching. That's number three. So Jesus prophesied about the end times to protect us from false teaching. In Matthew chapter 24 verses 4 through 5, he warned, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. This warning is so essential that scripture repeats it in Mark 13 and Luke chapter 21. I say it all the time. Take heed. What do I say all the time? Don't anybody deceive you. Anyway, going right along, Dr. David Jeremiah, this is an article from him, goes on to say, We live in a day when deception is common. Even though Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9 says, There is nothing new under the sun. He says, I regularly received advertisements for dubious new doctrines and methods of understanding the Bible. Jesus said in John chapter 16 verse 1, These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. Knowing what the Bible says about the future protects us from being deceived. As much as God wants to place us under prophecy's umbrella of protection, the devil wants to keep us out. Satan knows that reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 will reveal his scheme to spread apostasy in the last days. And if we read Revelation chapter 20, it will tell us that God has already assigned him to the lake of fire. Seeing Satan as a defeated foe in the future helps us to be victorious over him today. Prophecy protects us from Satan's attacks. So number four, prophecy prepares us for the last days days. So Jesus told several parables to illustrate the importance of being prepared for his coming. One story was about a master of the house who had been robbed. If the master had known when the thief would come, he would have a watch to prevent the robbery. The lesson is simple. Be prepared. Always be ready for the rapture, which will be as unpredictable as a thief in the night. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 4 says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. Anyway, the, let me reread that a second. That was terrible. Anyway, sorry about that, guys. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 4 says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Bible prophecy prepares us to meet the Lord any time. Another benefit to prophecy is at is its ability to prepare us for the days ahead. Hardly a day goes by that we don't read about wars, rumors of wars, natural disasters, or lawlessness in the news. We throw in here China, North Korea, South Korea, Ukraine, Russia, Iran, Turkey, Syria. Eh, okay, anyway, 
<laughs> These grim realities can be disheartening. However, Jesus told his disciples to anticipate this turn of events, that they would be signs of the end of the age. Tragedies never take God by surprise. In John chapter 16, verse 4, Jesus said these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. Studying Bible prophecy gives us courage for the days ahead. Although life on earth will continue to get worse, the day of the rapture draws near. And number five, prophecy provides practical guidance for everyday living. In the opening chapters of Revelation, one sentence appears seven times. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And you can read those in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 11, 17, 29. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 7, verse 11, verse 17, and verse 29, and chapter 3, verse 6, 13, and 22. In other words, listen up. I have something to say, and it's important. Prophecy contains practical instructions for every Christian. It would not be an exaggeration to say that the Bible prophecy drives evangelism in righteous living. Knowing what's coming encourages us to be ministry-oriented, Reaching out to the lost and living with an awareness of Christ's imminent return increases our desire to share the gospel. Prophecy elevates our perspective and energizes our walk with the Lord. Some Christians view prophecy as something intellectual with no practical application, but we never want to be so future-minded that we neglect to apply God's prophetic truth. He gave us the book of Revelation to help us anticipate what is coming and equip us for living in the world of the end and number six in finality prophecy promises spiritual blessing so did you know the book of revelation is the only book in the bible that promises a prize to its reader both the beginning and the end of the book reveal the reward revelation 1 3 says blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near revelation 22 verse 7 reiterates the blessing Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I don't know about you, but when God gives me instructions for receiving a prize of blessing, I want to get in on it. And I agree with Dr. David Jeremiah. I do too. I'm sure you do too. Anyway, the Bible of Revelation, along with other prophecies, form a, forms a guidebook that teaches us the sequence of events leading up to the return of Jesus Christ. Biblical prophecy can seem complex, but it doesn't have to be confusing if we understand what Scripture's predictions mean for our life here and now. And when we know the one who declares the beginning from the end, Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, we can face the future with confidence. Folks, that's what I want to leave you guys with today is we have a God who is sovereign who knows everything? Nothing, nothing catches God by surprise. Not one thing. He already knows the end from the beginning. And he has already won. Jesus Christ won the victory. And did you know the Bible says that right now you and I are actually seated in heaven with Christ in high places right now? Because he knows the end from the beginning. Oh, folks, the word of God is so beautiful. When I said earlier that um, God doesn't want us to be happy, I didn't mean it in the sense like they mean it in like the health, prosperity, wealthy, whatever. You need to be healthy and God wants your best life and blah, 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 you should always, and that's not what I meant. I don't mean he doesn't want you to be happy. I wanted to 
uh, clarify that because I thought, well, that probably sounded terrible. No, no, God does want the best for us. And that's why he gives us trials and gives us these things so that we can overcome them because it's not just us, it's Christ in us that overcomes those. And once we learn to lean on Christ and learn to lay everything at the feet of Christ, cast our cares upon Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus will help us. So we need to let Jesus live through us. And our joy is found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And that's kind of one that I wanted to throw that in there just for clarification purposes. <laughs> but uh, if you're looking for peace today, you're not going to find it in this world. You're not going to find it in the newspapers, that's for sure. You're not going to find it in food or cigarettes or booze or drugs or anything like that. If you're looking for peace, everybody has Everybody has that yearning desire to worship God. Everybody does. You're born with it. You're born with it. And when the Bible says when you look around this world and you say there's no creator, well, then you're a fool, number one. But the Bible says you're born knowing that there is a creator. Um, there's like, just take a look at, um, um, what are those little things called? Uh, oh, my gosh, I can't even think of them. Oh, the praying mantis. There are so many different types of praying mantises. And one of them looks like it's actually glorifying God. Like a little African um, praying mantis. It is absolutely beautiful in all of its colors. Because I love the people of Africa. And all the beautiful, beautiful colors that they wear. Oh, it's just absolutely gorgeous. You should look at the little praying mantis. I can't remember the name of it. But I saw it the other day on some social media page. And I thought, that is gorgeous. And that's what it reminded me of. Um, so anyway, go look at Just look at them. Just look at God's creative beauty. You cannot tell me that there's no creator when you look at these things. Look at them. I mean, under microscopes and just look how, I mean, just the design of everything is so intricate. There's no way that there's not a heavenly father. There's no way there's not a creator. But I want to leave you with this today that God loves you. He cares for you. He will do anything. He will fight for you. Exodus 14, 14. You be silent and God will fight for you. Today is the day that we need to get into the word of God. I'm reading through Psalms and I'm reading through Matthew. I'm learning a lot. And one thing I took away from my morning reading this morning was when they were in the wilderness. You know, God says, I brought you out of the wilderness. And I'm reading in Deuteronomy 2 and he goes, I brought you out of the wilderness. And, uh, and some other things, or I think it's Deuteronomy. Anyway, what I took away from it was... Um, I didn't realize, because you know, when you think when they're in the, they're walking in the wilderness, you're thinking, okay, it's a wilderness, it's barren, there's nothing there. But the Bible says Jesus, or God, well, he is Jesus, said that there were scorpions, there were fiery serpents, there was all kinds of stuff that he protected them from. And I thought, wow, I never thought about that. You know, when you're thinking that they're walking through the wilderness eating manna, you don't really think about what was really there. But of course, you know, when they did look upon the staff of Moses and that kind of thing, but um, you don't think of it as an everyday thing, or I didn't think of it as an everyday thing, so it kind of gave me something to think about today. Anyway, guys, um, I got to get ready for work, and uh, anyway, I hope this is a blessing to you guys, and I hope it gives you some hope for the future, because Jesus Christ has already won, and um, he lives through us. His Holy Spirit lives inside of us, so greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So remember that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us one of power, love, and of a sound mind. And I know from where I'm sitting and from people who listen to this program or all around the world, uh, I know it's different from where you guys are. And, um, you know, I'm, I, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like living in Ukraine right now. 
I can't imagine what it's like living in Russia or Europe or any of those other um, nations and countries. I just I can't imagine Australia, any of these other places, you know, considering from where I'm at. And, um, you know, I know prices are growing really high here, but I cannot, cannot fathom what it must be like where you guys are, where prices are like a hundred times, probably a thousand times more than what we're paying right now in the United States. And so with that, I do want to pray, um, end in prayer today. So, um, dear heavenly father, um, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for your promises, for your word. Lord God, I know that you will fight for us, Father, and I know that you have won the victory, Jesus, and we thank you so much for your love and your care and your obedience to Father God. And Lord Jesus, I just ask God that you would help us during this time. We know there are dark days coming ahead, and Lord, I know that you will take care of your children. And in Matthew, you tell us not to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make our requests made known to God. And we are doing that, and you will take care of us. So, Father, I ask you right now, Lord Jesus, that you would provide for those all over the world right now who do not have the means to heat their homes or buy their food or get to work or any of these things. Lord God, we ask you for your supernatural intervention, Lord, that you would make a way where there is no way. Like you said, you'd make paths in the wilderness and you would do all these things for us. And Lord God, we stand on your promises. We ask you for your help, for we know that you care for us. So we are casting our cares upon you, Lord Jesus. And Father God, we know that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and of a sound mind. Father God, we thank you that you have told us what was to come in your word so that we could be prepared for these days that we are now living in. And you told us not to scare us, but to prepare us. And Father God, I thank you for all of these things. And Lord, we just look for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And with all these things, Lord God, I ask you these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Get in the word of God. Let the word of God.